Well, if you have your Bibles, why don't you turn to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 6, Romans chapter 6. Father, in the name of Jesus, how grateful we are to be here today. Uh, thankful, Lord, for your presence, for your love, your grace, your mercy unto us. Thank you for your favor and your blessings that rest upon our lives. And now we ask as we approach the word of God that you would open up our understanding and our comprehension, that we might apply what you say to us and that we might walk faithfully for your glory. In Jesus' name, everybody says, Amen. Amen. Romans chapter 6, beginning at verse 16. Know you not that that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that you are the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered unto you. Being then made free from sin, became the servants of righteousness. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as you have yielded your members servants to uncleanness and to iniquity and to iniquity, even so now yield your members servants to righteousness unto holiness. For when you were the servants of sin, you were free from righteousness." What fruit had you in those things whereof you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now being made free from sin and become servants to God, you have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I want to share a message with you I've entitled Kingdom Motivation. Kingdom Motivation. Well, I want to revisit again our kingdom theme this week. We've been talking uh, periodically throughout the year that we are kingdom people, that we are uh, defined by kingdom priorities, and because of this, it should affect how we live in this world. How many of you would agree with that? It should affect how we live in this world. The Bible tells us that we are citizens of a different place, that we are strangers and foreigners to this world, that we're just passing through like this train. And we are, we are ruled by different priorities. We're ruled by different attitudes. Um, I don't know about you, but some of us need attitude checks, right? Go ahead and point at someone. I didn't see some fingers flying. What? Um, who we are is determined now by our relationship to the king. If he's truly captured our hearts, if Christ has truly captured our hearts, then it should be seen in how we live. And most assuredly, it should affect what motivates us as the people of God. All of us have times in our lives where we feel like our get up and go has got up and went. How many of you have ever felt that way? Your get up and go has got up and went. I don't know if y'all have ever heard that phrase before, but it's from an Aerosmith song, so there you go. Um, it can be hard sometimes to get motivated. Uh, how many of you know that laziness is quite wonderful sometimes? And it's not hard to do. It's not hard to be lazy. It's not hard to be non-motivated. And sometimes it's not even necessarily laziness. Maybe it's we're tired. Maybe we've lost interest. It's hard to be motivated to do something when you're not interested to do it. Maybe it's, it's because we're just in a place where we would just plain old rather be doing anything else other than what is required of us. Anybody ever been there? That's called Mondays normally. You would rather be anywhere than where you are right now. And so sometimes it's kind of hard to get motivated. 
And we're all motivated in diff- by, by different things and in different ways. Some of us need to be constantly reminded. Some of us need to be praised. Some of you need to be threatened. Am I right? You need to be threatened. Some of you respond with, to sweet, loving words, and some of you require a drill sergeant telling you how pathetic you are and what a worm you are in order to motivate you, right? Yeah. We all have different ways of being motivated. Some of you are motivated by food. I mean, come on. You can't have, you can't have a church function without food. I've always noticed on Wednesday nights when we used to have food on Wednesday evenings, we were most motivated by breakfast. I don't know what it is, but for some reason, when pancakes and bacons were served, we all love Jesus more. <laughs> Somehow our dedication to God went to another level. Jesus and pancakes, what a combination. But we all know that if we're ever going to get anything accomplished, we have to be motivated. No matter where we are or what we're doing, we're not going to get anything done if we can't motivate ourselves and to really succeed in life, we have to learn how to do that, how to motivate ourselves because we're not always going to have people that are cheering us on or patting us on the back or telling us how wonderful we are. We don't all get to walk around with our theme song playing in the background. Wouldn't that be awesome if you had a band that just walked around with you and played your theme song when you walked in like you were like some WWE guy, right? That would be awesome. But we don't have that. We don't have that kind of stuff that we have to learn at some point in time in our life. If we're ever going to do anything or accomplish anything in life, we have to learn to motivate ourselves. But motivation not only has to do with the motor or the energy behind what we do, it's also important to consider the heart of our motivation. Because motivation has to do with the what and the why. It only has to do with what you're doing, but why you are doing it. What motivates us and why are we doing what we're doing? What motivates us means that we can be motivated but motivated by the wrong things. We can have the wrong motivations, the wrong intentions that we are doing. And it's easy to do even within the kingdom of God that we might be motivated to do something because we want someone to see us or we want someone to praise us or we want a position or we want something where somebody can look and say, oh, what a wonderful person they are, right? We do things many times because it makes us feel good or makes us look good. And so as a result, our motivations may be wrong. Why we are doing it tells us what's really in our hearts. It defines for us what is most important and what is valuable. And it reveals to us our real intentions. Obviously, it reveals to us our real motives. Because we can see, we judge people obviously by how they act on the outside because I don't know your intentions. Some of you are naturally skeptical. And so if somebody does something for you, immediately your mind goes toward what do you want? Right? What are you waiting for in doing this for me? You're doing something nice. What is your problem? Anybody in here like that? Come on now. We have this natural skepticism. Now some of that is, is okay. Some of it's discerning, Right? Uh, because we, we recognize that intentions really matter. Motives really matter. And so as kingdom people, if we are a part of the kingdom of God, then we are ruled by kingdom principles and our motivation comes from a common source. Our hearts have been radically changed and because of this, we are now motivated by godly desires. 
What motivates us and why we are doing is rooted in our commitment to Jesus and the mission of the gospel. In Romans chapter 6, Paul begins a long teaching that shows us what it means to be dead to sin, but alive unto Christ. For a matter of fact, chapters 6 through 8 are probably three of the most theologically rich chapters in the entire Bible. If you've never read the book of Romans, you need to read the book of Romans. It is the constitution of the New Testament. And so chapter 6 through 8 is one of the most important sections of chapters in all of the Bible because it defines for us what the true spirit-filled life is supposed to look like. So if you want to know what you're supposed to look like, you can look at Romans chapter 6 through 8. That we are supposed to be and reminded that it is the work of grace in our lives that makes us people who are alive in Christ but dead to sin. Amen. Though we have been made alive to Christ, we have been rescued from one servant and we have now surrendered our uh, one master and we have now surrendered ourselves to another. We have, we have surrendered our lives to a, to a master who now treats us with favor and blessing and fulfillment and we have been broken free from a master that leads us to death. That this is what it looks like to be Christians. That once we were dead and now we are alive in Christ Jesus. That that which once us kept us in bondage has been broken and now we are free to serve the king. Now I want to focus in this passage because we could spend all day in Romans 6, 7, 8. But I want to focus on the one phrase that we read in this passage of scripture in which Paul says you obeyed from the heart. Verse 17 says, but, thank, but God be thanked that you are the servants of sin, but you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered unto you. Make, Paul is making a very, very powerful statement of what true salvation and true discipleship looks like. What's it look like? It looks like obedience. Amen. I know I talked about this a few weeks ago, but this is really the heart of what it means to be a disciple and a follower of Christ. It only makes logical sense That if we gather in here on a Sunday and we lift our hands and we say, I love you, Jesus. Oh, you're wonderful, Lord. Oh, chill, bumpy, bumpy. You know, and we're feeling good. God, you're awesome. That when our hands come down, then we walk in obedience to the one whom we've just worshipped. That we walk in obedience to the one whom we say we love and we want to serve. But it's not just obedience. It's obedience from the heart. Avery's kind of got into this little phase right now where anytime you tell him, all right, go get some socks or shoes on, his response is, oh, come on. <laughs> go, come on what? All right, Avery, it's time to take a bath. Oh, come on. <laughs> you know, and then he has to be motivated in a threatening manner. <laughs> the drill sergeant then comes out. Put your phone down. Because it's, it's, he obeys, but it's not always obedience from the heart, right? Paul says, you obeyed from the heart. It wasn't just mental agreement. It's not just an obligation. It's not just the fulfillment of a responsibility or the keeping of a law. It's obedience from the heart. Some of you push the limits of all laws, not just biblically but on the interstate, right? You're pushing the limits. You drive by 70 mile an hour speed limit signs and laugh. Ha! (laughs) Till you get pulled over. And then we realize it wasn't coming from your heart. 
Obedience from the heart means it's not just a keeping of a law. It is, it's something that you desire to do. Because obedience, this obedience from the heart, is the obedience of a want to. And how many of you know when your want to's change, that's when you've truly been changed. When the things that you used to want to do, Paul said you're now ashamed of them. Your want to's have changed because the old want to's died. And new want to's came alive. In Christ Jesus. So when you want to's have been changed, you know you've been changed. They were motivated to obey because they wanted to obey. They didn't have to be pumped. They didn't have to be prodded. They weren't like a herd of cattle that had to be poked, right? They obeyed because they wanted to from their heart. They were motivated to obey passionately, fervently, zealously, joyfully. And this is what kingdom motivation is. An obedience that comes from a heart that is ready and willing to do. Obedience that is birthed from a heart that has been changed. Want-tos that have been shaped by our relationship with God. When we start losing our motivation to obey, it's a warning sign that there's something wrong. Pastor Don did a sermon a while back on warning signs. We did it in a life group, warning signs. And when we lose our desire to obey, this is, listen, folks, this is not a competition. We're not trying to one-up each other in obedience. We obey because it comes from our hearts. We want to. We're not trying to keep up with the Joneses. We want to. When we're no longer motivated to pursue, we have to ask ourselves, what's going on in our hearts? Why? Why do we do what we do. If you're not hungry for the pursuit, then why aren't we? If we aren't desiring devotions, then why aren't we? If our heart is not leaning into worship, why isn't it? If we have lost our desire for church and fellowship, then why is that? Why? What truly has your heart? I know I talk about this a lot, but this is where we have to go with the gospel. We've got to get past the surface good feelings of faith messages. We have to get past the surface of the blessing. Oh, God bless and show me faith. We have to get past that to, God, do you have my heart? Do you have my heart? Those of you who are in love, or you remember being in love, you didn't have to be told, right? You did because you loved, right? Because you wanted to. Because it was almost uh, an anchor on your heart that held you, that tethered you to the person that you've committed yourself to. This kind of love is a love that comes from the depths of who we are. And sometimes we have to look at our hearts and ask ourselves, what fight are we battling in there? What is trying to grab our attention? What is trying to get our affection? What is trying to pull us away from our pursuit and our, our motivation to obey and chase after God? What is it? I know that we act like that this is no big deal, but we're talking about a matter of life and death. Where our hearts are going, it's it's leading us somewhere. And we have to ask ourselves, what is the fight that's going on that's keeping us from being motivated, that's keeping us from obeying God? In the words of the great philosopher Tupac, everybody is at war with different things. Come on now. 
I'm at war with my own heart sometimes. You ever felt that way? You ever felt like you're at war with your own heart? You ever felt like you're at war trying to decide? Man, Tupac was smart. Why are we doing what we do? And that's a question we have to ask ourselves. It's one of the most uncomfortable ones we ever have to ask. It's not just what are we doing. Why are you doing it? Why are you doing it? Paul challenged the church at Rome to ask who they truly serve. Because he said, whoever you serve, whomever you serve, you are subject to that control. And hence, you are subject to the consequences and the rewards of whomever you serve. What are they? If you're motivated to satisfy sin, then it leads to death. If we are motivated to obedience to Jesus, it leads to life. And because of kingdom people, we should have kingdom motivation. A motivation to obey. Our motivation is rooted in the kingdom ethic. What is the kingdom ethic? The kingdom ethic is love. Love. Everything that the kingdom of God is, is rooted in this overall motivation of love. It's what Jesus says defines us as disciples of Christ. Not the fact that you shout or clap your hands or go to church every Sunday. Not the fact that you might speak in tongues or operate in the gifts of the Spirit. Not because you can preach or teach or sing really well. What defines us as disciples is your love for one another. Love. So four points I want to make before everyone falls asleep. Number one, we love God, right? This driving passion of love for God, obviously, should be the basis of everything that we do. We need to know that our obedience is a song. We always talk about worship, and when we talk about worship, we talk about a service. We talk about songs that we sing in a service. We lift our hands, we sing a song, hopefully we sing the song you want us to sing, and so then you worship, right? But our obedience is worship. Our actions are worship. What we do is worship. So to love God, the ultimate way in which we can love God is to obey. Because let's be honest, if we are standing in a congregation with our hands lifted to God and saying, I love you, while at the same time we are entertaining disobedience in our hearts, then our worship is fake. I love you guys. Right? We're, we're, bringing, we're bringing false worship when with our mouths we are honoring God, but our hearts are far from Him. Now, I, I understand none of us are perfect, and this is not about trying to be perfect, but there's only two places you can be, and that's either in the will of God or in rebellion. And so we have to, we have to recognize that it's, it's hard for God to receive our praise, to receive our worship, when at the same time, we are actively rebelling against who he is and what he's called us to. When we've been captured by the king, we continue to pursue his presence. Amen. We continue to pursue his presence. Why? Because we want to be with him. We want to be where he is. We want to pursue him. Why do we have to be convinced to pursue the one who died to set us free from sin and cleanse us of all unrighteousness? Why do we have to be convinced to chase after the God who is nothing but good and wants nothing more than to bless us and to fulfill us and satisfy our lives? Why do we have to be convinced if we love him? Amen. That's good. 
To quote another wonderful philosopher, Elvis, take my hand, take my whole life too, but I can't help falling in love with you. I, the, the phrase, now, I have a problem sometimes within uh, the realm of romance of the phrase falling in love because we base falling in love so much on how we feel, right? We base falling in love on this flutter in our hearts or a feeling that we have. And, and don't get me wrong, love does come with a feeling. I, I understand that. Uh, but that is not true biblical love. To, to love God, Elvis said there in chapter 1, verse 1 of Elvis, take my hand, take my whole life too, right? It's not just this moment. It's not just this moment in which I sense God's presence. It's not just this moment in this song that I feel God moving in my life because that's just take my hand. It's take my whole life from this point forward, even when I don't feel this. I've given you my life because I love you. Because I love you. And we love the Holy Spirit. And we love His motivating energy in our lives. Some of us need to get to know the Holy Ghost. Some of us wouldn't know the Holy Spirit if He skipped down the middle of the aisle with a raspberry beret on His head. All right? There's your Prince reference. I'm just off the rails this morning. We need to get to know the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Ghost. In our lives, that's what it means to love God. And in number two goes with this, it means to love God's will. Because we can't, God, we can't love God and not love what he's called us to do. If we continually can fight against what God is calling us to do and how God is calling us to live, then we have to question, do we really love God? Because to love God is to love his word. It's to love what he says to us and how he says it. It is for his purpose and for his glory that we live. The will of God is our meat. Jesus said, I have meat to eat that you know not of. And of course the disciples were like, did somebody get him waffle fries from Chick-fil-A? You know, some, some decisions are hard to make. Am I right? You know, what job should I take? You know, God, what ministry do you want me to be a part of? Um, you know, what house should I buy? Who should I marry? These are tough decisions that you need to make. But we always align ourselves with God's will. Some, some things are very... They're easy to make. God, should I witness? Yes. What are you praying about? Yes. God, should I give? Yes. God, should I serve? Yes. What are you waiting on? I need a fire to come down and consume me. Just obey. Love the will of God. Embrace the will of God. Some decisions are easy to make. Is it Popeye's or is it Chick-fil-A? We all know what God's chicken is. It's not a hard conf- It's not hard to decide. The will of God. It's the will of God. We love your will, God. We love where your will takes us. We love we even love the requirements and the commandments. Your commandments are not grievous. They are not burdensome. They are the joy. Jeremiah said, "I did eat them and they were the joy and the rejoicing of my heart." The will of God. Number three, we love people. Loving God always leads us to loving people. And this is always the hardest part because people stink. People are tools. 
people are smart alecks and hateful and people. <laughs> and it doesn't help anything that, that our world is rocked with sin, that we're all fallen and broken and messed up, so it's hard to love. I understand that. That's why this is a supernatural thing. God's not calling us to do what we can do. If we can do this, we don't need Jesus. If we can do this, we don't need the Holy Spirit. But this is the command of kingdom people. This is our motivation. We love God and we love people. We love those who are hurting, the oppressed, the left out, the forgotten. The, the two commandments, they came to Jesus testing him, what are the two greatest commandments? He said, love God with all your heart, soul, mind. And he said, love your neighbor as yourself. Upon these two commandments, hang the entire law and the prophets. Do you hear what I'm saying? There's over 600 commandments in the Old Testament. Every single one of them can be summed up in love God and love people. Love God and love people. That is the motivation that we've been called to do. Why do we love people? I've said this many times. Preach a sermon on it. Why do we love people? Because they exist. We don't love people because they buy us food. I won't turn you down. We don't love people because they do only do good things for us or they're pretty or they're Mountaineer fans. We love people, even Big Ten people. We love them. Because they exist. God has called us to walk in this radical, life-changing love. And this is the motivation of the kingdom. And finally, number four is to love righteousness. Paul defines the kingdom of God as righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Ghost. The kingdom of God, he says, is not meat and drink, but righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Ghost. Now, that, that context is a really interesting context because Paul is actually talking about People coming and saying, basically, should you eat meat that has been offered to idols? And Paul's basically like, I don't care. Idols are dumb. Right? Idols are dumb. They're stupid. They're they're not real. So if they want to offer this steak to an idol, they can then slide it over on my plate. And I'll eat it to the glory of God. Right? But his, his argument was, you know, as kingdom people, as people who love people, It is our desire not to offend or to cause a brother or sister to stumble in their walk with God. And so because of that, if me not eating meat is going to help you grow, then I won't eat meat in front of you. Someone's like, oh, I don't care what people think. And then we say we love God, right? But if we love God and we love people, we recognize it. Because Paul defined the kingdom. He's like, "The, the kingdom of God is not defined by these religious rituals, The kingdom of God is defined by righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Ghost. Kingdom people are always motivated to live righteously. This is manifested in holy living. It's manifested in a pure heart. It's manifested in a desire for justice and a desire for reconciliation. And Paul makes that argument here in Romans chapter 6. Whomever you obey, you are servants to whom you obey. Whomever you commit yourself to and submit yourself to, that is whom you are going to obey. So compromising with sin only leads to death. I know right now in our lives, it's easy for us to poke the bear. It's easy for us to mess around the edges of sin. Because we don't see its immediate consequences. 
But when we compromise with sin, the Bible tells us it leads us to death, no matter how good it feels. I don't know about you, but the more you, the more you play around something, the more comfortable you become with it, and the more comfortable you become with it, the more you lower your defenses. And the more comfortable we become with sin, the more we lower our defenses and don't take it seriously. There is something about our hearts when we don't take sin seriously. And we have to ask ourselves why. It's okay for us to worship God when everybody sees us. But what happens behind the scenes? Are we living righteously? Are we living a pure, holy life? Because the Bible says submission to righteousness leads to life, the most fulfillment here, and then eternal life there. The most joy and the most fulfillment and the most satisfaction is found in living a righteous life, in living a pure life. The Bible says that righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. The wages of sin, the Bible says, is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Some of us are working towards death. And we don't even recognize it. It's, oh, Mark, I'm sitting here in the pew. But yet our hearts are not being motivated for a desire of righteousness. Look at your heart. Are you finding yourself straying from that desire to pray and pursue? Are you straying from that desire to worship? Do you find yourself connecting more with worldly things and worldly thinking? Is it changing the way you see people, changing the way you talk, the way you act? Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Kingdom motivation should always be motivated by a desire to live righteously because, folks, it's going to get worse. It's going to get worse. And honestly, if we find ourselves slowly slipping into sin, it should send a warning sign to recognize. But the Bible says that even in the last days, the elect could be deceived if it was not for the grace of God. We love righteousness. And so I close here this morning by saying who we are is the most important thing that we need to consider. We talked about this last week. Who we are, that you may be. That's what Paul wants us to consider. Who we are is the most important thing that we need to consider. Because why? Who we are affects what we do. And we need to ask ourselves why we do what we do. What motivates us? Are we motivated to be accepted? Are we motivated for a position? Are we motivated for money? Are we motivated for someone to notice us? You know, I've, I've never, there's always opportunities for us to, to do things. And, you know, when it brings God the most glory is when we do things just for Him and nobody notices us. But how many times at work have we wanted to do something and we wanted them to notice us? There's an episode of Seinfeld. Where George goes and buys an eggplant parmes, egg, eggplant uh, calzone. And they've got a little bottle there to put a tip in. Every time he goes to put a tip, the guy turns around and he never sees him do it. And so he's telling Jerry, he's like, the guy rolls his eyes at me because he thinks I never tip him. But I always tip him and he never sees it. So he said, next time I want to make sure he's looking. So he holds the dollar up, you know, he's getting ready to throw it in. And right when he goes, the guy turns around. So George reaches back inside to get it out. 
to do it again. And then the guy, of course, turns around while his hand's in the jar. So he throws him out, and George can't come back, and, you know, Steinbrenner wants an eggplant. And, you know, this just, just, just a wonderful episode. But anyway, he was motivated to be seen. I want to be seen. You know, how many times, how many times have, you know, maybe this doesn't happen with adults anymore, but how many, how many times is, when we were in high school did we dress a certain way? Because we were just trying to catch their attention. We just want them to say how pretty we are. How good looking you are. We just want, I just want you to see me, you know. Why do we do what we do? Why are we doing it? Are we, do we need that affirmation from the world? Or we, do we only need the affirmation that comes from God's grace? Why is our heart going in the direction that it's going? What does it take to get us to do? Whom do we obey? And as we expose our hearts to God's grace, our prayer is, God, bring us to a place of kingdom motivation where obedience is birthed from our want-tos. Obedience is birthed from our hearts. Send me, Lord. Here I am. Send me. Bow your heads with me. Father, in the name of Jesus, how grateful we are for your presence, how grateful we are for grace, grace that is so amazing, grace that never fails, grace that never comes short, grace that has shown us, Lord, not only salvation, but shows us how to live. Uh, Thank you for favor upon our lives, for blessing. Lord, you are good to us. Lord, we're asking you this morning to challenge our hearts. We're asking you this morning to expose us, expose our hearts, expose who we are. Bring us to the light, Lord, and let us see our, the deepest intentions and motivations of our heart. In the name of Jesus, with every head bowed and every eye closed here this morning, I want to give you an opportunity to consider where you stand with God today. There are some of you in here that have never made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. You're not, you've never made things right with God. You've never been made righteous. Make no mistake about it. Sin has consequences. The wages of sin is death. And unfortunately, there is an eternal judgment that we all must stand before. This loving, wonderful awesome God. There is an expiration date on common grace. And we must all stand before him in judgment. And so this morning I'm asking you, are you sure? Are you sure that you're right with God? Not do you go to church, not are you a good person. Are you sure you're right with God? Maybe at one time you had a relationship with Christ, but you're slowly slipping away. Or you have slipped away. And maybe you're just now being awakened to the reality of how far you've gone. You know, in our challenge at the beginning of this year was the pursuit. That we've been called to pursue God in a greater and a more powerful way. And maybe because of all the craziness and chaos of 2020, your pursuit got derailed. Your pursuit got off track. 2020 has thrown all kinds of obstacles in your way of pursuing God. Because of that, you've lost your passion. You've lost your excitement. God is calling you back 
to Him. To a love for Him. A love for His will. A love for righteousness. Would you be honest with God today? I'm not asking you to do something for me. I'm asking you to hear the voice of the shepherd. Do you know Him? Does He know you? What direction is your heart going in today? What heart change needs to take place in your life. I know it's not easy to respond to something like that, but I want to open the altar for us to bring our hearts before God. I want to be obedient from the heart. If that's not defining us, God change us and challenge us.